You're listening to Northwest Allen County Schools Educator Spotlight. This week's guest is Huntertown Elementary School Principal Casey Stansifer. The host for the Educator Spotlight is NEXT Curriculum Instruction and Technology Integration Coordinator Andy Dietrich. Hello, my name is Andy Diedrich, and I'm a curriculum coordinator with Northwest Allen County Schools, and welcome to the first ever Educator Spotlight. As I was coming up and creating this podcast, I had one mission in mind, and that was to basically have the great teachers and the principals in our school district tell their story, tell their story of why they wanted to become an educator, uh, what is their philosophy of education, and what do they want to instill in their students? And we're fortunate enough to have Casey Stansifer, the new principal at Huntertown Elementary, to be the first guest. And Casey is a former coworker of mine, and he was a curriculum coordinator also. We've worked together the last two years. And I personally have learned a lot from him, and I know he's going to be a great principal. So without further ado, here's Principal Casey Stansifer. Hey, thanks for having me on the podcast, Andy. I'm excited about it. You've gone through a rapid professional growth over the last probably five years. Um, about five years ago, you earned your first master, master's degree in curriculum. Does that sound correct? That's right. And then you've just wrapped up your your MBA in educational leadership a year ago or is it a year and a half? No, it was a year ago. A year ago. Yeah. And that has directly led to your job as a principal. So over the last five years, you've gone from department chair to curriculum coordinator and now to principal. Give us a feeling of what that that rapid rise, what was it like? Uh, the, the coolest thing that came from it is that I was able to meet a lot of great people in our district. Um, sometimes when you are uh, teaching in one building for a number of years and you're teaching in one discipline or one grade level for a number of years, um, you, you get, uh, very comfortable, which is a cool feeling to have, especially after feeling vulnerable as a first year teacher, you know, second year teacher. Um, so that, that comfort level was nice. I felt like I was, um, doing right by my students, but you know, what is that when I was able to get into multiple buildings as a curriculum coordinator and, you know, get to know people in the elementary world a lot better now as a principal, I'm able to, you know, just get to know some, some people who've had a profound effect on some of the students in our district. So, um, like you said, our district is just filled with just phenomenal educators who, uh, care deeply about, about kids and about learning. And so I was able to, you know, to meet a lot of great people and, um, learn from them and 
that's been really cool. I'll second that. Uh, being a curriculum coordinator myself and being able to visit all 10 of our buildings, the depth of quality teachers from K through 12 is unbelievable. It's almost stunning how good and how caring and how thoughtful and intentional our teachers are in this district. And with your strong curriculum background, that's got to make you feel good. Yeah, absolutely. And and there there's so many great teachers who don't have the title either. One of the one of the the great teachers of our district that come to mind uh, for me is Kathleen Perfect. She's a great teacher um, for her students and for her for her own educators at Arcola. Just a great leader and a great teacher. Um, you know, so th- there's so many great teachers who who don't necessarily have that title teacher, uh, but they're serving that role every day. You know, in in the past, you and I have both been named uh, district teacher of the year. And I know when that happened to me, it was incredibly humbling because I just looked down the hallway, my hallway at Carroll High School, and I was surrounded by teachers who I considered to be actually better than I was. And, And to be chosen to be among them I thought that was such a great honor. Did it feel the same when you were named Teacher of the Year? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, you you look around and and you think, you know, there's no way that I would be half the teacher that I am if it wasn't for Nicole Croy and Leslie Clark and Scott Kilmer and and on and on and on and on and on. There's just a ton of people um, that I've been able to to work with and learn from. And, you know, so there's, you know, I, I know that there are four who are nominated a year, but, you know, you could nominate 50 a year and it still wouldn't be enough because it's just the, the volume of, of talent that's in our district. When I work with you, the thing that I like to learn from you the best was just your knowledge on curriculum and assessment. And I know that you have a master's degree in curriculum. What what has made you drawn to curriculum? Uh, honestly, I I sought out a master's degree in curriculum just because I wanted to learn more about it. I just wanted to become a better teacher. Um, so uh, I wanted to be more effective in my classroom for my own students. So I, I really did it for their sake. But then I kind of fell in love with the design process and I fell in love with um, some best practices in instruction and assessment and curriculum and seeing how all three of those things tie in together. Um, so you can you can place a focus on curriculum, but when you're doing that, you got to think of the assessments that will come out of it. And you can create great assessments, but when you're doing that, you got to think about the instruction that will make the, ins- the assessments valid to begin with. Um, so seeing how those three things, curriculum, assessment, instruction, are just interwoven was really cool as well. Um, in the program that I completed, it was at Indiana Wesleyan University, and it was an online program, and a, and a huge focus was understanding by design. There were multiple classes that kind of encompassed understanding by design, and then you know we put it to practice in our own classrooms. And it was neat to see the intentionality of of, of the planning process and, and the, the design process. I know that, uh, when I completed my bachelor's, first of all, I, I really didn't know what I was doing because I'd never taught anything before. 
So once you get a couple years of teaching under your belt, you can appreciate some of the instruction that you got, you know, in undergrad and, you know, any kind of graduate work that you do, it just, it, it makes it a lot more relevant. It makes more sense. But when I was able to apply it to understanding by design to my own classroom, it just helped me see how important it was to be intentional with assessments. And I kind of saw the value of, of a good assessment. Um, and, um, just seeing how the, the, the three are, are interwoven was, was just a huge eye opener for me. One of the initiatives that our district is working on is good assessment practices. And you just talked intently about the part of the equation that assessment is. And so in, in your opinion, what are you looking for in a good assessment? Yeah. When I started teaching, an assessment was to see what they got. Did, did they get it? So it was all about them and whether or not they got it. But the more I taught and the more I, I learned about good teaching and I learned about learning, I realized that really assessment, any good assessment should be telling the instructor, I guess, to what extent student mastery occurred or student achievement occurred, which reflects as much on the instructor as anybody else. So there is a great anecdote. I know um, Dr. Gusky shared it. Uh, there's a great anecdote that, uh, you know, you've got a lifeguard and a lifeguard is teaching a class of students how to swim. And you toss a kid into the pool and if they sink to the bottom and the instructor says, well, I taught it and they learned, they didn't learn it. It really doesn't say a whole lot. Uh, if, if they, if they didn't learn it, did we really teach it? And I thought that was, you know, kind of a, kind of a, you know, a, a surprising, you know, a, a surprising anecdote, but it makes a lot of sense. So if, if the assessment data comes back and a lot of my students had bombed, whatever it is I thought I taught, um, it called into question whether or not I, I really taught it. And so, uh, uh, an assessment will tell me what I need to do as an instructor. It gives me information as what I need to do tomorrow and what I need to do next week, um, in regards to reteaching or, or maybe challenging students. Um, maybe there's a concept that they really understood as a whole group. They really got it. And so maybe I can challenge them to move further next time, but I need to reteach another concept uh, because they bombed it. So the idea of an assessment, you know, as I kind of matured into my career, the, the assessment was information for me to figure out what I needed to teach it informed instruction rather rather than just reflected what students may or may not have gleaned. I think some teachers in education in general are kind of given an assessment because that's just kind of what you do. And you, you've got a category in your grade book that says test and you need to fill it. But how you expressed it is kind of just the exact opposite. And an assessment for me is checking for understanding. And it, you were a little bit more articulate at saying it, surprise, than what I said. But if you check for understanding, you are truly looking for, do the kids understand it? And if they don't, what are you going to do to get them to understand it? It's the same concept that you, that you gave. And when, and when a teacher has that, that idea in their head that they are checking for understanding, the grade and the assessment comes about learning and not punitive. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I, I don't, I don't sport much, so I can't make sport analogies. But I, I will say that in my training as a musician, if there is something that you know the the group, the orchestra, the jazz band, if there's something that uh, we we didn't get, we didn't play well on a performance, the the next day in rehearsal, the director would never say, "You guys completely blew it." Okay, we're moving on to something else. No, it was we 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 blew it. Let's try to figure it out. Let's figure out what we didn't understand. Let's figure out what we didn't do well, and let's figure out what we're going to do uh, to improve upon that for the next time. Um, any good coach would say that. Any good director would say that. And so I think if we think about our role as teacher, uh, as more of a coach than a critic or a judge, I think we can get to better assessments and get to better instruction. That's a perfect way to say that. And I've said many a times, and I know you've heard me say it, is that if we can bring the athletic field into the classroom, we've got education solved. And when I say athletic field, the band room is no different than that. Marching band is just really another form of athletics in my mind because you have a constant formative assessment. You have the students reflecting upon their own performance, and you have the coach, the band director, the orchestra leader. They are a guide that's working with you to get you to where you need to go. And there's this constant self-evaluation in making these checks and then acting upon those checks with the goal to get somewhere with the game being the summative assessment or the performance being the summative assessment. So if we can bring that same concept into the classroom, American education is going to just rock. Yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. What are we going to do to get better? I mean, that seems like that's the, that's the coaching motto, uh, whether we're talking about after a rehearsal or after a practice or after a game or after a performance, what are we going to do to get better? Let's just take that mentality into the classroom after any assessment, whether it's a formative assessment or summative assessment, uh, just a check for understanding what are we going to do to get better? Yeah, and then that, that focus on learn, learning is what I, I really like. And I, I know you and I have had that conversation a lot. So let's move on to our next topic. Your second master's degree was an MBA in ed leadership. Uh, you were lucky enough to get a Woodrow Wilson fellowship to go to the Kelly School of Business at Indiana. Can you share what you've learned through that program? Yeah, it was really great training. And it was, it was leadership training is what it was. And I, I was kind of... Uh, before I really dug into it, I was intrigued, but I was also kind of skeptical about what an MBA would do for education. Because when I think MBA, I think finance courses and I think accounting courses. And, and honestly, there was that. It was tied to education. It was education and finance. But um, the, the bulk of what we learned was just good leadership practice, whether you're leading um, you know, a, a private organization, whether you're leading in a school setting, what what is good leadership and what does it do for an organization? And one of the things that that we learned in, you know, a, a lot of the courses that we that we completed was that good leadership is empowerment. You empower others to make good decisions. You empower others to lead from within the organization. And so think about how we can we can do that. And we've got some fantastic administrators in our district. And the reason they're so great is because they've done just that. They've learned how to empower the group in one way or another. So it was, it was great leadership training. It was about an 18 month focus or so. Uh, some of it was completed on campus during the summertime. 
So we spent four weeks for two summers on campus, Monday through Friday, about eight o'clock to 4.30 or five for four weeks. And then the rest of it was completed online uh, correspondence. So it was, it was fantastic training and I'm glad I've had it. Now you, you talk about the quality of the administrators that we have in our district and how they've been able to empower the people under them. I'm going to say from my viewpoint, that's exactly what happened to me when I was a classroom teacher. In, in 2011, when this flipped classroom was kind of bouncing around and I looked into it and I was intrigued by it and I went to see it at a school in, in Lafayette. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, I can do that. The administrators at Carroll High School said, Andy, go do that. And we're going to find out if it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And if it does, it does. So be it. That's really empowering. And and the fact that they gave me that power, it's really allowed my own personal career to take off. When you were a classroom teacher, did you feel the same empowerment from the principals? Yeah, absolutely. I think I was a third-year teacher and... I was teaching senior composition, and it was the first time that that course had ever been taught. So Seth Slater and I were able to design that course, which was pretty cool. First time it had ever been taught at Carroll High School, so you know we got the uh, the ability to to figure out what it looked like. And Park Ginder came to me and he said, "What if there's a student in your class?" who you know from, I don't know, week two, week three, you know that they're a great writer and everything that they complete as an assignment for this course, it's going to get an A. What if you you did something just radically different for that one student? What if you gave them some autonomy to kind of create some assignments of their own and kind of self-lead? So it would only be for you know a certain a certain group of kid, a certain group of student, but you know, what if, so he was great and just kind of challenging me to think differently and to differentiate for the individuals in my class. So my administrator wasn't dictating how I should teach. My administrator was challenging me to create new opportunities for students and, and for me to do that on my own. And, and, you know, he was not requiring that I ask permission or run things by him, but, you know, giving me the freedom to, to make those decisions in my own classroom, which was really cool. And so a lot of the administrators that, that I've got a profound respect for have done that. They put egos aside and they empower others and they encourage others to to be leaders from within the organization and to, to teach them. So uh, I, I know there's a lot of principals who hold this idea of lead learner. Yes, I'm a principal, but I'm lead learner. I want to learn along with the students in my building. I want to learn along with the teachers in my building. And I think that's what we're talking about here, empowering others to, to, to lead and to make good decisions, but you know, learning from others as well. Well, now you're a principal. You're in that position where you can challenge and empower and lead and support teachers. You've been a principal for about two months. So what's it like being in that club? What's great is that I've got a, a, a great connection with students. I, I feel like I'm able to, to interact with students in a way that I never have before as you know a classroom teacher or as a curriculum coordinator. Um, so one of the one of the questions that I 
that I was given in my interview for the principal at Huntertown was, so, so why, why do you want to be a principal? And, um, I said, I, I want to be a principal because I want to get back to teaching. And I saw the principalship as a, as a way to do that, to get back uh, with with students and, and kind of teach not necessarily math lessons or English lessons, but lead by example. And, you know, the kind of people that I want in my building, I could lead by example. And the kinds of things I want them to say to others, I can say those and lead by example. And we, we talk about doing the right thing and treating people right. So if I can do that and, and lead by example in my building, I, I think that's a win. I'm also able to learn a lot. There's a there's a lot still left to be learned, but that's really why I went into education in the first place. It wasn't because I love teaching, it was because I loved learning. I mean I value learning and I want to you know give that to I wanted to give that to my own students. Um, so definitely learning a lot in this process and I'm thankful to the people who've made that a little bit easier for me. There's great staff over at Huntertown, classified staff and certified staff who have done a great job about teaching me what it is to to be a leader. They're doing great. Yeah, that is an absolute wonderful staff over there. When I get to visit that building, outside of the one secretary that picks <laughs> on me a bunch, <laughs> we we have a long history. Our kids have played baseball together, and so uh, her and I have sat next to each other multiple summers in the hot sun watching kids playing baseball. So it's, it's a good-natured ribbing, but it is a great, great staff. Do you have a, a special focus that you're looking at besides setting an example? Yeah, well, right now, my motto is better every day. And that's my motto for myself. And, you know, I'm hoping, hoping teachers and, and students will grab onto that as well. And I, and I think a few of them have. But, you know, I... I won't, I won't lead on like I, I've got all the answers because I, I definitely don't or that I, um, I know everything there is to be an elementary principal because I, I definitely don't. I, I've got a lot to learn. Um, but my goal is to be better tomorrow than I was today. Every day, take one step toward, toward, toward getting a little bit better. And our building at Huntertown, if you've walked through the halls, you've seen all kinds of growth mindset signage around the halls. It's it's pretty cool. Lisa Repaul and Andrea Hudson have done a great job of outfitting that building with a growth mindset. So um, teachers have jumped on board and they're teaching their students how to adopt this growth mindset. So it's not that I can't, it's that I can't yet. But tomorrow, because we're getting better every day, tomorrow I'm making one step toward mastery. I'm making one step toward understanding. So it's it's a great place to be because I'm able to learn and I'm able to challenge myself. And I'm with a great group of people who are doing the same thing. They're trying to get better every day themselves. They believe in a growth mindset and they're, they're teaching their students to do the same thing. So it's, it's a pretty cool place to be. Casey, I, I'm, I'll be the first to admit I miss having you in the office. I was really hoping to have one more year to work with you, to learn from you. But I knew as you were going through that MBA and ed leadership, you were on your way to becoming a fantastic elementary school principal. And I think you found your calling and you're going to do great at it. And you're a true asset to Northwest Allen County Schools. And I'm glad we've been able to keep you and put you in a place where you shine. 
And, and I'm so happy that you were kind enough to be the first interview on this podcast because I want you to set the standard because we do have a lot of great principals and teachers in this district. And you are one of the great teachers and you're on your way to becoming one of the great principals. So thank you for being on the show. Hey, thank you so much. I, I appreciate the opportunity. That's awesome. Did that sound professional or what? That was real. Malcolm Gladwell will be so jealous.